Hey everybody, hey Magnum Subs, welcome to Sex and Politics, or S&P as I like to call it, a bonus Savage Lovecast for our Magnum subscribers. There's a member of the school board in a small town in Washington State, made national news recently, as did the owner of a sex toy shop in that same small town. Here's the thing, they are the same person, a member of the school board in Bellingham, Washington, a college town about two and a half hours north of Seattle, also owns a sex toy shop in Bellingham, Washington. An unlikely seeming combo of careers and callings, particularly right now. As we are in the midst of what seems like it's going to be a never-ending sex panic, stoked by right-wing social media influencers who are particularly obsessed with school boards and sex and kids, these outrage pushers really knocked it out of the park in the case of this sex shop and this school board member in Bellingham, Washington. This one went straight to the top right to the top-rated news program on Outrage Cable News, Tucker Carlson. Joining me to talk about the controversy, the owner of that sex toy store, Wink Wink, and the member and former president of the school board in Bellingham, Washington, Jen Mason. Jen, how does someone who owns a sex toy shop wind up on the school board? Well, in all fairness, I was elected to the school board before I had a sex shop. Um... But, you know, I filed to run for office and then um, had this brilliant idea for for a sex shop and lo and behold, won the election. And that's how I became the uh, school board sex shop lady. It almost seems like opening a sex toy shop during a campaign to become a member of the school board is a surefire way to not become a member of the school board. Yeah, I mean, I opened it um, after I was elected. And so last year when I ran for re-election was the first real test of can you actually get, you know, elected with a with a sex shop. And um, I won at about 76% of the vote. So the answer, at least in Bellingham, is yes. <laughs> okay, so what attracted you to, to becoming a member of the school board? We'll get to what attracted you to opening a sex toy shop in a minute. Why did you want to involve yourself in education? Why did you want to be on the school board? You know, I worked for a long time in middle schools and high schools. I did sexual assault prevention work and advocacy counseling with survivors, um, young survivors of sexual violence, and thought for a long time that I wanted to be a teacher. But the the whole getting up early thing um, wasn't for me. Uh, you know, just um, every day in a classroom just wasn't a good fit. Uh, so but I, what I really interested me was being on the school board. You know, public education is really my jam. I think the public schools are a huge piece of, of equity and providing access to people to all different paths in life. And so I I'd long thought I wanted to run for the school board. And after the disaster that was 2016, uh, for so many of us, 2017 was the year that I thought, let's do it. Yeah, there was that whole run for something push. Right now, there's a run for something push going on on the right. And one of the places that right-wing assholes, uh, Steve Bannon on down, are encouraging people to do, right-wingers to do, is to run for school boards, to purge sex education, to purge books from libraries, to go after the teaching of American history, which requires you to teach uh, about race, racism, discrimination, uh, Jim Crow, the Chinese Exclusion Act, the internment of the Japanese. You can't teach American history without addressing racism. Um, is there a push in Bellingham to, for right-wingers to get on this school board that you're already on? 
you know, I, I ran last year and I ran against a, I, I guess for, for lack of a better term, a, a MAGA conservative um, who ran against me and he didn't do well in that race. And, you know, in, in Bellingham, which is a very liberal place, we certainly have some amount of right wingers, but it's not a very strong movement here in Bellingham. Now you go anywhere outside of Bellingham in our county, and it was a bloodbath for a variety of school boards. So, um, you know, we're in a particular area where this works. Well, I, I live in Seattle, which is not far from Bellingham, and I'm always telling people who think that if you know you live in Seattle, you live in a blue state. And no, you live on a blue island in a red state. You drive a half an hour in any direction from Seattle and you're in deliverance until you get to someplace like Bellingham. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Bellingham is a is a blue city in, you know, pretty surrounded by red areas. And so we have we have ma- been able to maintain a, a pretty um, open I would say open, more liberal school board, but that's not the case. Yeah. If you go pretty much any direction from here. So tell us about wink, wink. Yeah. So wink, wink, uh, we are a sex shop, uh, and we are inclusive. We are not creepy. I always say like we look beautiful. We don't look like what a traditional sex shop looks like. And we are all ages, which is usually the spot that makes people pause and scratch their heads a bit. Okay, I am pausing right now and scratching my head. Most of the sex shops, even the like, you know, woman-owned, progressive, lovely places, big plate glass windows, uh, you know, places like Babeland in Seattle, which was kind of one of the first wave in the 90s of that kind of welcoming, not creepy sex shop. I think you have to be 21 to go into Babeland. Help, uh, help me understand what an all-ages sex shop is or why an all ages sex shop is. Yeah. So when I was opening the store, you know, I was starting to think about um, what what is our age cutoff for coming in. And what I found out in all of my research and talking with legal folks is it's perfectly legal to have a sex shop where anybody can come in. And so I thought, well, do I do 18? Do I do 16? Do I do 15? Do I do and at some point, I just felt like, you know, I'm really not the gatekeeper of anybody's sexuality. If you want information and access to sexual resources, then I'm going to give them to you. Uh, You know, if you're in the position where you're going to walk in the door and look for something that you need or want for your life, I'm going to give it to you. And I'm certainly not going to be more strict than the government says I have to be. And so we decided to, to be all ages. What does that mean in practice? Yeah, in practice. Are like fourth graders wandering into the sex toy shop? Definitely not. In practice, that generally means teenagers are in here. Um, So, you know, we get high school students. We also sell like chest binders for trans folks here. So I got a good Mm -hmm. number of probably middle school kids that are coming in to buy their first um, binders with their parents. And so that's a part of what we serve. And sometimes we have little, little kids here. And so this idea that's peddled by some people of, oh, that means eight-year-olds are coming in here and buying dildos is, a, is, of course, not what's actually happening on the ground. I get calls from parents whose teenagers, you know, 16, 17-year-old, 15-year-old sometimes, are experimenting with insertion toys that are not insertion toys, are, you know, they call them pervertibles, I think, in mm-hmm. the kink community. They're taking things at home that aren't designed to be used as insertion toys, and because they're curious about sex and masturbation and insertion. They're using, you know, paper towel roll dispensers 
uh, and, and things that they shouldn't be using that are unsafe and dangerous. So what you're describing is, you know, if a 16 year old wants to come into your store who may, you know, in the absence of having access to an actual appropriately designed and safe sex toy, be using something that's not designed to be a sex toy that is unsafe, that it is legal in Washington state for you to sell that kid, that sex toy. Yeah, absolutely. And we get, you know, we I get parents in the shop all the time saying, "Ugh, I found out my kid is using fill in the blank um, to pleasure themselves, you know, whether that's an insertable or they're using their electric toothbrush or they've been whatever it is and are trying to figure out how do I provide them access to something that is safer and designed for sexual pleasure. And so it's a question I think that some amount of parents are asking when they find out. And But yeah, young people can come in here and get what they need for themselves. Okay. In this cultural moment where the right is trying to redefine grooming, not as what it classically, what not as what the word term used to refer to, which is a pedophile or a sexual predator, earning the trust, not just of their, you know, intended victim, but often of that victim's parents and family uh, so that they could then abuse that kid and get away with it. Now they want grooming to still have that association with pedophiles and predation, but just to mean talking to anybody under basically 30 about sex. Uh, And so at this cultural moment with this sex panic and the right wing really directing trolls and death threats and violence at anybody who's providing sex education, uh, much less access to information about pleasure or implements of pleasure, you must have attracted a lot of negative attention. Yeah, I don't think that I there could be a, a worse icons <laughs> right now for what the right wing movement wants to do than what I'm doing. Um, you know, the intersection of schools and sex is where I'm at. And so, yeah, we get death threats and harassment and protests and all kinds of unpleasant things that are directed at me and at my staff simply because we believe that people should have access and education around sex. And you do education. You, you you host a thing called the Uncringe Academy for two different groups, two different age groups. Can you tell us about Uncringe Academy? Because it sounds really awesome. And from where I'm sitting, it sounds really necessary. Yeah. So Uncringe Academy is about a six-hour uh, education program that we provide for 9 to 12-year-olds and then 13 to 17-year-olds. And it's sex ed. It's not just reproduction. And so we do talk about reproduction, but a lot of it is really spent talking about what are the messages that you've gotten around sex? You know, what what have you heard? Um, and we really deconstruct co- the culture around sexuality. We talk about pleasure. We talk about anatomy and anatomy, not just that's related to reproduction, but that's related to pleasure as well. So it's really comprehensive queer inclusive, queer centered in many ways, and um, based around the idea that sex is supposed to feel good, whatever that means for you. That is what sex education should be. You know, reproductive biology is a part of sex education, but in too many places, reproductive biology is the entirety of sex education. I've always compared the way we do sex ed to a driver's ed course where they teach you how the internal combustion engine works and nothing else, nothing about brakes or steering or stop signs or yellow lights or green lights or red lights. And then the first time somebody got into a car to drive, if that was their driver's ed, 
they would be a danger to themselves and anybody else in that car and anybody else on the street. And yet our sex education is basically how the reproductive internal combustion engine works and nothing about why you might be having sex, which would be for pleasure. Nothing about stop signs, nothing about consent, nothing about negotiation and and understanding why you fuck, not just to make a baby. That's usually not why people fuck, not why people have sex or seek sex partners. It's not to make a baby. Most people are desperately trying to avoid making babies, which is why birth control is covered in most sex education that just touches on reproduction. Why is it so controversial to acknowledge the real reason people are having sex almost all of the time in a sex ed class for a young person? You know, I think there's some of that moral panic of if kids know that sex is supposed to feel good, then they'll just have it indiscriminately. You know, what I found is that kids already know that sex is supposed to feel good. They know that people are doing it for for pleasure. I think that the vast majority of kids are not under the impression that sex only happens for reproduction. That being said, I think that there's so many people that are really uncomfortable with the idea that sex is supposed to feel good and be a good experience even if you're a young person. It's not just supposed to be an absence of trauma um, or not life-alteringly bad. Like, I think that saying sex is supposed to feel good and be pleasurable even if you're a teen is hard for some people. And I think that's our culture's relationship with pleasure overall and our relationship with the idea of sexual pleasure. People complain about young people getting their sex education from porn, and yet they do all they can to make sure porn is the only place a kid can get any sort of a sex education. The classes you guys teach at Wink Wink, the Uncringe Academy, which are broken into two age groups that seem to me a pretty reasonable break. What did you say? 10 to? 9 to 12 and then 13 to 17. That seems like two reasonable groupings where you can have an age-appropriate conversation um, with each group. It's not compulsory, right? No. Parents choose to come to the class. They decide whether or not they they want to be part of it. And a parent has to sign this kid up for this class? Parents generally sign their kids up. I mean, in theory, kids could sign themselves up if they want to. But of course, you know, most of, most of, the, most of the kids that are coming, their parents forced them to come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was my experience with taking my kid to a... To a sex ed seminar at the University of Washington that's very famous was that we had to drag him there and and he didn't want to go, but we wanted him to have a sex education. And we knew that the kind of sex education he would get in schools would be insufficient because schools are always worried about the dumbest, loudest, angriest, most religious, most sex negative parent And the progressive parents who want to see their kids have comprehensive sex education that's queer inclusive and that centers what really should be centered because it's why people have sex most of the time, which is pleasure. They just kind of ruin sex ed for everybody. And then here you come and you establish the Uncringe Academy to provide sex education for kids and parents who want this particular kind of sex education. And they're not going to allow you to do this in peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been, uh, you know, of course, it's been twisted as you're teaching nine-year-olds how to pleasure themselves. You're you're doing sex instruction because of that idea that all sex education is somehow exploitation now, right? Just uh, telling a kid that, that the name of that body part is a vulva is now called grooming. 
Um, and so, so we've just been, have been blasted with a, a blowback from the right on, on what we're doing here. And it's not your community. Your community supports your store. Your community, after you opened your store and began providing this kind of sex education to kids who want it and whose parents want it for their kids, they sent you back onto the school board with 76% of the vote. So what the right is doing, you were targeted on Tucker Carlson's program. You've been dragged all over right-wing internet. People have shown up at your shop, broken your windows. It's not your community that's rejecting you. Who are these people? Yeah, I mean, by and large, my local community supports me. You know, of course, there's there's a few people here. The last protest, they could only get like six people out. And I think that three of them were from out of town. The, the, the people who are really dragging us are from everywhere else. You know, they're not in our city. They're, they're from all over the U.S. I, I want to back up, though, because, I, I, you know, I'm pretty sex positive, And I'm kind of bumping on like a nine-year-old can wander into this sex toy shop. I think most, I've known nine-year-olds. Most nine-year-olds would rather go anywhere else. Most nine-year-olds would run screaming. Uh, You know, the idea that there's a like roving bands of seven-year-olds that want to go into a sex toy shop is not, I I think, reflective of of what seven-year-olds are and where they are, right? But just that, they could, it kind of does blow my mind. I wasn't aware that in Washington state that there was no age limit. If you were selling pornography, there would be an age limit, but you're not selling pornography. Right. We're not selling pornography. And honestly, a lot of what we sell is now available at Walmart, Target, Rite Aid, right on the shelves. And a lot of people don't realize that if you go into your local Target, I've gone into you know, Targets, Walmarts all over the U.S., and you can buy vibrators and cock rings right there um, in big box stores. So it's there, and kids seem to still be managing to function, even though they've probably seen all this before. (laughs) They've been to Walmart. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And they're still functioning. They're still functioning. And, you know, sometimes we do have, you know, usually all ages for us means older teenagers or little babies. Um, Periodically, we do have a kid who's seven, eight, nine, ten that has come in with their parents. And you know what? It doesn't, I think it's a healthy experience for them in, in many ways because they'll say, Hey, what's that? And their parents go, Oh, that's a, that's a toy for sexual pleasure. You can use that in your vagina. And kids are like, okay, (laughs) you know, it's all in the matter of how you present it. So if you make it be this, Oh my gosh, this taboo thing and we hit it and you can never see it. Now you found out, then that's how it becomes to the kid. If you just say, Oh, that's the thing that you use for sex with yourself or another person. And, um, some people enjoy that, how that feels on their body. Kids reaction is, Oh, okay. The concern that some parents are going to have or some people are going to have or some right-wingers are going to gin up is that, you know, maybe they'll wind up breaking Walmart's windows, but I doubt it, is that if you acknowledge the existence of these kinds of adult toys in front of children, that they will want to experiment with them maybe sooner than they would have if they'd had to wait or find it in a drawer or find out about it the old-fashioned way, which just to me seems like completely irrational considering how ubiquitous porn is now and the access that kids have to really what are distorted pictures of sex and pleasure 
that are all over the internet. And good sex education is a corrective. And good sex education also tells kids that they don't have to do anything that doesn't feel good, that they're not ready for, that they don't want to do, right? It empowers kids not to say yes to sex toys, but to say no to sex toys until they're ready. Yeah. And and yet, even for me, like, I feel like I'm kind of working through this in my head. I'm thinking through this because I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around the seven-year-old who can walk into the sex toy shop with their parents. And, and, And to me, that makes a kind of sense. Like, yeah, that should be normalized and these things should be demystified so that they seem less taboo and they seem less you know scary secrets that you know if you try to keep a secret from a kid it makes that secret enticing rather you know showing the kid the sex toy probably makes the sex toy less interesting than hiding the sex toys from the kid does yeah absolutely and also you know the other thing is is that lots of kids are exploring their bodies right lots of kids are pleasuring themselves i mean at all different ages kids are exploring what feels good on their bodies and i when you really think about it it's like why do we say okay it's okay if you do it with your hand but if you do it with a piece of silicone that is terrible or if you do it dry that's okay but if you use a lube then that's bad you know we make all these weird delineations um, because we're really uncomfortable with the idea of pleasure and the intersection of young people and pleasure where i i really think that the the more we are open about Pleasure is the measure and that there are implements that can be used if you want to. Um, I think it just makes it a lot less of a big deal. One of the calls I frequently get from parents is, you know, they've, like I said, they've discovered their kids are using inappropriate things or stealing their sex toys. You know, 15 year old girls who found mom's vibrator and mom found it in their room or mom realized it was being surreptitiously used not cleaned properly and returned to mom's nightstand. And, you know, my answer t- typically has been get them an Amazon card and don't ask. Yeah. You know, tell them like you won't open the box and they should get themselves something. Yeah. Um, and uh, am I encouraging a kind of shame there that I shouldn't be encouraging when I say get them in the Amazon card and tell them? You don't want to know, but they can't use yours anymore? No, I think that's Would great. Would it be better if mom and the daughter could pop into Wink Wink? I mean, we certainly have that where we have moms and daughters come in. I've had parents who come in and pick out something for, you know, their teenager um, to use. But I also think that, you know, openness doesn't negate privacy. Um, And if your kid is somebody who is a more private person, then I think that you honor um, that desire for privacy and you let them pursue it however they want to. So I don't think that everybody has to be, you know, open in the same way. Shopping for sex toys with mom and dad. Not every kid has to do that. Some kid would rather just die. (laughs) (laughs) I think I would have rather just died because I'm pretty sure the sex toys I would have picked out would have outed me to my parents before I was ready to be outed to my parents. Yep, absolutely. (laughs) Why did you settle on the name, Wink Wink? Because when I I hear Wink Wink, I think, you know, Wink Wink, Nudge Nudge. It sounds like an innuendo, like a reference to an innuendo. Um, as opposed to, you know, a a sex ad and sex toy, it sounds like it it, it vaguely vibes with stigma almost and shame or an era of stigma and shame. Yeah. You know, we kind of wanted it to be something that was like, um, you know, we're a sex shop, but it's not 
in your face. And so, you know, I'm aware that there are some people who are super open about sex and we could have called ourselves, you know, kink town and they would have walked in. And there are some people who are, that's not who they are, you know, and we're in a small downtown and people need to feel like they can come in here and, um, and have a name that doesn't feel embarrassing. At the end of the day, I really wanted a name that my mom could say and not feel embarrassed by. (laughs) So that was my, that was my rule is could my mom say it in conversation and not feel uncomfortable with it? And it was like, yeah, wink, wink works. Do you feel, do you, do you sometimes see people walk by a few times before they can come in? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Um, I see people walk by and they'll stand there and they're trying to decide. Um, and, and so, yeah, we get a lot of nervous, a lot of nervous Nellies in our door. And I hate to, this is kind of a dark question, but do you guys feel safe? The right wing has really been coming after you, Tucker Carlson, Fox News, hateful accounts on, uh, on Twitter. I did a little looking around today. You've suffered death threats. Has there been a moment where you thought it wasn't worth it, that you should close the shop? No. I mean, I don't feel safe, but I'm staying open and we're going to keep doing what we do. You know, we've put safety precautions in place for our staff and I have, you know, safety, personal safety precautions that I follow now that I never had to before. And, you know, when we went to actually teach Uncringe Academy a few weeks ago, it was after Tucker Carlson. Our windows had just been smashed out. I'd been contacted by a neo-Nazi who was trying to find me. And, you know, I had to cover my hair to go teach the class, circle the block a few times. You know, I'm going in disguise to, <laughs> to teach things, which is so ridiculous. But to me, it also just really speaks to the need for it. Like, our culture is fucked up around sex. Like, we need this. We need this work. <laughs> as evidenced by the people who are breaking your windows, as evidenced by Tucker Carlson's distortions of the work that you do, as evidenced by this demagogic campaign to not just stigmatize queer people, trans people, but providing information in an age-appropriate way and access in an age-appropriate way to young people. This idea that... It's this weaponization of a something that everyone knows to be false because everybody was not 18 once. This idea that you're not sexual and that nothing sexual has ever occurred to you until the moment you turn 18 and then there's a bolt from heaven and you're gifted with your sexuality and your desires and your impulses and you have then your first sexual experiences after 18. And that's not how we live or experience sex. And yet what the right seems to want to do right now is drag us back to a time where everyone had to pretend that that was the case. Yeah. And if you won't, if you refuse that they will threaten you. Yeah. And you know, my background is in working with sexual assault survivors and including many, many teen sexual assault survivors. And to me, the shop is really still part of sexual assault prevention work. You know, I think that when we talk about sexual assault, we have to talk about not just what we don't want, we have to talk about what we do want. We can't just talk about how to get rid of trauma. We have to talk about what does healthy sexuality actually look like? Um, How do we help people get there? And so to me, ironically, because I get called a groomer and a pedophile all the time, I see my work as this is how we actually have less trauma and less violence and less terrible things people have to go through. Yeah, one of the things that the right distorts is this idea that a conversation or an education 
a comprehensive sex education that includes consent is just teaching people how to say yes. And what it also does, or as importantly does, is it empowers people to say no. To say, no, that's not something I want, or no, that's not something I'm ready for. No, that's not something I'm comfortable doing with you ever or you yet. That that conversation about consent isn't just permission slips and yes, yes, yes. It's empowerment and often no, 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 or I'm not ready, not yet. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting what I've heard from a lot of young people is they feel like because of the way sex education is done, they feel like there's a presumption that they're all just going to go have sex. Like what's funny is they, I hear this all the time is young people are like, they just assume we're all going to go out and do it. And, you know, our sex education classes that we do talk about the range of desire. You may not want to do this at all. You may never be interested in this. You might not be interested at this point in your life or with this person. We really make space for, hey, if you are not interested in a certain thing, you don't have to be. Like, you don't have to do all the things with everyone. You get to pick and choose what feels good for you. And so I actually feel like our very pleasure-based sex education also makes space for negotiation and rejection that traditional sex ed doesn't. Okay. Can we keep you on the line for a question? We like to have everybody take a question with me. Absolutely. Hi, Dan. Bisexual woman here. And uh, my question is just if you're having like a sexathon, so like you know, a full day or maybe a whole weekend of lots of active sex, what do you suggest eating? I have an idea of what to avoid, but yeah, what do you suggest for fueling yourself if you're not fasting the whole time? Um, And then how do those recommendations change if anal sex is on the menu? All right, that's an adult with an adult question and and a weird one. This whole conversation about what you are are not allowed to eat in advance of having sex you know i'm gay i've been out forever i don't remember everybody anybody having that conversation 30 years ago 40 years ago you just ate what you liked and then rolled your dice and moved your mice and hoped for the best now everyone is going on like bottom diets of ice chips and boiled rice or whatever but what the, uh, what what would your advice for this person be if they're going to like planning a crazy sex weekend they want to know how to stay nourished they don't collapse from malnutrition during it what would your advice be yeah well first of all everybody knows their body's best so definitely don't eat anything that you know aggravates your system I I think, you know, fuel up in the same way that you'd fuel up for any kind of exercise you're going to do. And I guess generally speaking, low fiber, high protein is going to keep you going and not have a lot of things coming out. So, so that's the way that, that, that would be my advice. But I I also think that people are um, sometimes overly concerned about what, what's happening with their, with their butts. (laughs) And it's like, it's a butt, you know? There, there's there's things in there. Sometimes things come out of there. Sometimes there's smells. Life moves on. Yeah. I had a boyfriend early on who there was an accident. I was absolutely mortified. And he looked at me and said, it's a butt. Let's yeah. get in the shower. We can do something else. And that was very uh, affirming. Your advice, um, high protein, low fiber. That's really great advice during the orgy. I think prior to the orgy, if you want that lower GI tract cleared out, you want a high fiber diet. But as it's going on, if it's going to be a whole weekend's affair, sashimi, I think is a great option. 
Yeah. Yep. Sashimi. I was like thinking edamame, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm vegan. So I'm thinking all those things that I would be, I would be eating those, those vegan proteins. So yeah, but I, I, you know, I get asked questions a lot about how do I avoid this and this and this when I'm doing, um, you know, booty play. And it's kind of like, I, I think, I think 70% of it is just don't worry so much with a butt does what a butt does. Yeah, but does what it does. Does I'm with you right there. But poo kind of ruins the moment. You know, yeah. you don't want your butt doing that. I, I'm not. I'm not saying everybody has to douche, but it seems to me that if you know your body well enough, because 40 years ago when I came out, nobody douched. Yeah. It was just everybody had like a good sense of when they were good to go, and you would say, ah, yeah, probably not tonight if you didn't feel right about it. Yeah, but you were basically guessing these days people don't feel so comfortable with guessing and these days particularly for gay and bi men anal has sort of risen to the level of vaginal you know where vaginal always exists for straight people it is on the menu it is the default sex act it is expected now in ways that didn't used to be and people want to feel ready yeah for it and not yeah. have to stress out about yeah. um Senator Santorum showing up at an inopportune moment. Yeah, absolutely. Some people douche these days. Uh, some people over douche. I'm sure you cover this in your education classes. Yep. yep. You don't want to douche too often or douche too high because then you're going to dislodge stuff that's going to come roaring yep. out mid play. Yeah. Generally speaking, you want to be gentle on gentle on your body and helping it do the processes that it does. But you don't want to. You don't ever want to force anything, or you kind of end up with bad bad effects. What's the question you guys get asked most often by the casual shopper? Somebody comes into the store first time without a nine-year-old or a 15-year-old in tow. What's the question that usually uh, gets put to you guys? You know, we get a, a lot of people who are coming in and saying, um, you know, I have, a, I have issues orgasming. How do I orgasm? And a lot of the folks that we're having um, that, that come in the shop have vulvas and my question, first question to them is always, what kind of stimulation are you doing? Are you doing internal clitoral stimulation? 90% of the time, they're like, I just have penetrative sex. And um, so it's a lot of, again, it, it's, to me, it's a lot of anatomy 101, like, okay, the clit exists and um, use it and you can use it during solo play and you can also use it during partner play. But a lot of the big questions we get is like, how do I have an orgasm with a partner? You know, people who work in sex shops, people talk about porn being default sex education or most people's sex education. People who work in sex shops are really frontline volunteer sex educators. And you play an invaluable role in people's lives. Yeah, I mean, I, I ha half of our work is really just providing people the education they need so they can even pick out something in our store. I can't tell you how many times, especially when we have straight men in our store, it's usually a Valentine's Day thing. We have a lot of straight men in the store and they go, uh, what toy should I pick out for my partner? And I go, okay, well, what does she like? Does she, you know, she like clitoral? Is she like this? And they're like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> And, you know, it's like, I can't help you with that. <laughs> I, I can't help you with the fact that you have no idea because you've been together 20 years and you've never really asked what she likes. And she may also not know. And so, yeah, we do a lot of educating people about how their bodies actually work because they've never had those conversations. Jen Mason, owner of Wink Wink, an inclusive all ages, not creepy sex shop in Bellingham, Washington, that's come in 
or a lot of grief. If you're in Bellingham or headed through Bellingham, please stop into Wink Wink, buy something, support the store. She's also a twice-elected member of the Bellingham School Board. Not something you see every day in this sex-panicked, fucked-up, freaked-out country. Jen, thank you so much for jumping on the phone. Thank you for having me on. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you so much, everybody out there listening to this S&P, for being a Magnum subscriber to the Savage Lovecast. It's been a minute since I was able to get an S&P done. I promise you won't have to wait as long for the next one. And we'll have a new Lovecast for you on Tuesday morning, like we do every Tuesday. And we will see you at SAC Lunch, our special Zoom hangout just for Magnum subscribers on the first Thursday in October. And hey, if you want to show your support for Wink Wink, if you don't want to let the haters shut them down, if you want to help them repair their store after the windows got broken, the best way you can do that is to go buy something at their online shop, which you can find at winkwinkboutique.com.